When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Saturday Buckeye Talk, everybody. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We are digging into the Ohio State quarterback situation for 2021 and how it fits into the historical context of recent good teams. Trying to figure out, can the Buckeyes like win a national title with three quarterbacks who have never thrown a pass in college football before? Um, so that's what we're going to figure out. Nathan has written a story about this that we're going to use as our jumping off point. Make sure you go back and listen to all the recent podcasts this week. Again, we're bringing new five a week. Stephen and Nathan dropped a recruiting podcast yesterday. Before that, we talked to the, the one before that was about the new hires for Ohio State plus basketball discussion that Ohio State won out and won, won out and won a big basketball game. So we'll keep dropping in the basketball discussion because people certainly seem to like that. But we want to get digging back in on football on the field in 2021 for the Buckeyes. So, Nathan, you sort of created the structure for this discussion, even though we're then going to take it in a JT Barrett direction, which I think is going to be very interesting. But why don't you tell the good listeners sort of where you were coming from when you came up with this idea of trying to put C.J. Stroud, Jack Miller, Kyle McCord into context of the playoff era? So it was mostly an exercise that we're going to be talking about this topic from now until September 2nd when Ohio State starts its season. I feel like this quarterback situation is going to be really the dominant topic. No matter what happens this spring and what we see unfold in the preseason, it's still going to be a little bit of prove it for whoever wins this job. So I thought it was just important to maybe flesh out some of the context for this and how rare this is. Um, As people have pointed out, as we've talked about before, you know, there are in the recent history of college football in the playoff era, you've had first year quarterbacks or even true freshman quarterbacks who have played in national championship games, who have won national championship games. What makes this situation so unique though, is the complete absence of really any experience. Um, As we've, you know, as we've said, nobody who's even thrown one pass before in a college game, that's who's going to be the starter on day one. And some version of that is going to be the starter at the end of the season, whatever stage Ohio State gets to. And and I kind of wanted to just give people a perspective on how different that is than 
anything that's been tried, certainly in, in recent college football history. And then even if you go back farther in, in college football history, it's very difficult to find true freshmen who have won national championships. Um, now, for a long time in, in football history, you weren't playing as a true freshman. So it's really only been like the what, last 40 or 50 years of college football that that's even been a factor. Well, but it's still- I, I just want to interrupt here because we talked about this a lot actually like back when JT Barrett was a redshirt freshman, which is why we'll get into it here. But you know, guys, you know, this, there was a time where it was like, well, they were allowed to play, but nobody did. It's like, what are you talking about? Like when you're looking yeah. for examples, it's like, well, there's nobody. And also there's a slight distinction between redshirt freshmen and freshmen. Yeah. But there's not a distinction in terms of, well, if you're a redshirt freshman, at least in the old days, it was like, you didn't play at all. Like you registered right. and you didn't play. So it's really about experience on the field. But there has been, I would say, in the last 10 years, it's like Johnny Manziel won the Heisman as a redshirt freshman. And the door is certainly more cracked in this era. But Nathan, as you're saying, historically, there's a time where it's like, well, no, it, it didn't happen. And the other thing that's changing, too, though, is you can be a redshirt freshman and still get a significant amount of experience as a freshman in some ways, right? You could play four games. You could play uh, throw a decent amount of passes as a true freshman and still count that as a redshirt year and come back, and that doesn't apply to any of these guys. Um, both Stroud and Miller come back as redshirt freshmen, but their playing experience was, was pretty scant for a number of reasons, just circumstances. It wasn't because there was some reason they shouldn't have been in the games or couldn't have been in the games. So, again, it was just more about, like, laying out the, the full perspective, at least just in the playoff era, of, of what that success has looked like. And I think people – I got – people were pushing back a little bit, I think, before they ever actually read what I wrote. And I think people need to realize it wasn't saying – this is why it can't happen for Ohio State. It was saying this is why if it does happen for Ohio State, it'll be kind of historic. It'll be it'll be unique in even recent college football history. So part of it, and I, you know, the distinction you've made is like when you sort of this was your plan versus hey, a guy right. transferred or a guy left and whatever. Like you know, even for instance, Braxton Miller in 2011 winds up by the end of the year being Ohio State's starting quarterback as a true freshman, but he was supposed to come in and sit behind Terrell Pryor for a year and get all that experience, get worked in a little bit, be the true backup for a season, and then Pryor would leave and and Braxton would be ready to take over in 2012. And then the program blows up and it's like, oh, they've got Joe Bozerman and they've got Braxton Miller. So like that wasn't a plan. JT Barrett wasn't a plan. But, Stephen, that this worked out, I mean, this is kind of the plan. I mean, it's not like there's some other veteran guy that was an older guy behind fields that left or whatever. We know it got a little hinky sort of with Justin Fields coming, and I don't want to spend all our time reliving, you know, who left and how they wound up in this quarterback situation and Gunnar Hoke showed up as a backup and that kind of thing. But – was there any – the fact that Ohio State's in this position, Stephen, you know, like pretty much of its own doing, does that mean – did they fumble this at all? Or like is this fine? Because I do think there's a caveat we have to talk about, which leads into the, like Nathan's numbers on this. But like is there any – is there any – I don't know if blame's the right word. Is this a – did Ohio State do anything wrong to wind up in this – with this quarterback situation for 2021 – or is it, no, this was a, a pretty decent plan and they're fine. It's a pretty decent plan. It just fell apart because of COVID, if we're being honest here, because they would have had that you sat behind a second-year starting quarterback and you played mock-up, you played garbage time, and it's, it at least would have thrown a pass. But 
you lost those non-conference easy wins and Rutgers did what it did. So COVID is why it's you're getting into this rare air here because it wouldn't, it, it would, had we had a normal year, we wouldn't be having this conversation of, Oh, they've never thrown a pass because they both maybe would have thrown 10, 15 passes at this point. Is that Nathan, this, we're going to have these stories, right? That it's going to linger for a little bit that we're going to wind up talking about something or writing about something. And the why of it is going to be COVID. That's why. Is this one of these stories that that's why this is even something that we're discussing? Yeah, 100%. I mean, Stephen hit it. I mean, they didn't have a spring game to get reps in last year, competitive reps that you expected. They didn't have a spring to get some competitive reps in. They had kind of a normal preseason in some ways. In fact, you could even argue maybe there was even an extended preseason where they might have got some more reps there. But as Ryan Day has said, and as I think almost anybody who observes football would say, that doesn't matter compared to game reps you've got to get game reps at some point even if i think they're coming against second and third string those game reps would have been important they could have got game reps in some of the blowouts last year those non-conference games and those didn't happen so it it, that's that is the reason why they're in this situation i I, and i agree with steven like i don't think you can say that this plan was really bad because this go back a year before COVID happened everyone was saying this is what makes sense right like cj stroud and jack miller that competition has already started Kyle McCord will join it later but you've got a year a full year that these guys are getting a full spring they'll get a full off season they're in the weight program they're doing all that stuff they're going to get those usual backup quarterback reps during the season even if they have to split them and then somebody's ready to take over 2021 and it's all that that was a completely reasonable plan and through no fault of their own it didn't happen So often on this podcast, we kind of often like end up blaming people for things. It's like, hey, we cover one of the three best football programs in the country. And what's wrong with all these people? Why does it? It's what we do. Mostly me. But I agree. Like this is so this is this is just like this is the reality. So now we're talking about this is the reality they have to deal with. So we're going to look forward to what Steven said, this is interesting because there are also ways this could have worked out. And sometimes stuff goes crazy in the moment you're forced into a situation. And then like, it kind of actually works out in the long term for you. And sometimes things go crazy in the moment you're forced into a situation that kind of hurts you for the long term. The crazy season hurt Ohio state getting their young quarterbacks ready. The crazy season helped Clemson get their young quarterback ready. Steve was saying, hey, we might have been in a world where Jack Miller or C.J. Stroud might have thrown 10 or 15 passes. D.J. Uyunglele's stats from 2020, he played in nine games. He was 78 for 117 for 914 yards and five touchdowns. Now, a lot of that is because he was the quarterback for two games while Trevor Lawrence had COVID, but he also played in seven others. So, You know, all any Ohio State fan did all year was say, please don't let Justin Fields get COVID. Please don't let Justin Fields get COVID. So we're not going to live in a world where, oh, if they, right. But Clemson, with the longer schedule, the more normal season, got him in seven other games where he got some work beyond the fact that, man, he went and started on the road at Notre Dame. So, Stephen, the Clemson plan and the Ohio State plan is very similar here. We all we did in their whole careers was compare Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. And now we're talking about, oh, DJ was the number two quarterback in his, in the class. CJ Stroud was the number three quarterback in the class. They're lined up right behind these superstars to be like their backup for a year. 
It's just that DJ got a gazillion times more experience than CJ did. Yeah, and that's the one thing I will applaud Dabo with is he'll randomly throw a freshman out there at any spot just to get him some snaps out there. And he was doing that early with the I'm, take away those 85 balls that he threw when Trevor Lawrence was out from the from Wake Forest on, he would throw DJ in there in like the second quarter and let him play a series. And Trevor Lawrence would just be at wide receiver. He'd just stand there just to get him experience just in case somebody got COVID and he needed to step in. Alabama didn't do it to that extreme, but Bryce Young as well would throw him in there. He got some snaps this year and some experience playing behind Mac Jones just in case something happened this year. Because Ohio State was playing such a minimal amount of games, I think there was a lot of pressure on we need to look like world beaters and we need to do everything in our power to make Justin Fields look like a high, like he's the best player in college football to be a Heisman Trophy winner. And so I think that was more of the focus than it was on because those teams were playing 10, 11 games. They had extra games where they knew they were going to blow out teams. They could get their future starting quarterback into the game. So just as a point of reference, obviously the brunt of the work came when he started the two games when Trevor was out. He was 30 of 41 for 342 against BC. He was 29 of 44 for 439 yards and against Notre Dame in that loss. And in those two games, he threw four touchdowns, no interceptions. My God, that guy's going to be good. How is that guy that good as a true freshman? Is he better than Trevor Lawrence? Oh my God, what's going to happen? The other games, Wake Forest, two for three, Citadel. The Citadel was his big other work other than the starts. And like, again, Nathan, Ohio State didn't get to play a game like that. They didn't get to play their non-conference patsy. He was eight for 11 against the Citadel, one for one against Virginia, 0 for one against Miami, one for three against Syracuse. Then the two starts, seven for 12 against Pitt, and then 0 for one against Notre Dame in the playoff game. So, you know, he was getting on the field. It's not like he, he didn't get a ton of work in those other games. But even if even if you take the two starts out, if C.J. Stroud had had a game where he was 7 of 11, it, I mean, it wouldn't change the whole world, Nathan. But 7 of 11 is a lot more than nothing. <laughs> than like oh, not- yeah. I mean, I almost think that if, 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 if D.J. had thrown half as many passes in that game at Notre Dame, it would still be incredibly valuable because it's you're going on the road and playing Notre Dame like that's a huge game like just getting those things out of the way for the first time in your career just think I think from just a a poise standpoint from a um, a game maturity standpoint that gives you such an advantage going into the next year I mean and if you don't believe that then you don't believe all the Ohio State players the linemen and etc who have over the years said how much it meant to them to be able to get into games late in those blowouts and then come back and have bigger roles the next year or play on special teams and come back in the next game. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Like the, the the times that Stroud and Miller, it's not like they got nothing, but like especially down the stretch, it was just so it was so brief, right? It was just in and out um, for Stroud, you know, coming in to, to, to do a couple handoffs for Justin Fields. They didn't really get that kind of ex- prolonged experience. And it would have been lesser for both of them because they were splitting time. But it's to me, it's just that any any minute that you're on the field as a true freshman helps you for that next year, especially at a position like quarterback. And with DJ it was meaningful snaps. Yeah. When he threw the ball, yeah. it was in a meaningful situation. Even if CJ and Jack had gotten on the field, it had been more like how Bryce Young was getting on the field where it's, I mean, if you throw a pick six, I mean, no one cares. We're all writing. People are kind of, the game's kind of over with. It's not, none of those, it's no, it's near, it's no consequence for the things that they were doing out there in comparison to what it was, would have been for DJ. And part of the deal is, and we've talked about this a lot, the last time, Ohio State's never going to have a rebuilding year again. 
and either are any of these other programs. But sometimes, like if you have a year like that, in 2004, which was the last time Ohio State had a rebuilding year because 2011 wasn't rebuilding. It was just on fire. 2004, they lose four games. It's the transition from 03, which is the remnant of the, the national title team in 02, to the transition to the 05 team, which is the start of like, hey, and then in 06 and 07, they play for the national title both years. Troy got to learn on the job. You know, like they figured out, is it Justin's Wick or Troy Smith? Okay, it's going to be Troy. Troy Smith gets in there. He's in the Michigan game. He's awesome, but he sort of takes over. And he gets to play like half a year of really meaningful stuff where, you know, if you don't play well, it's not going to cost you a national championship because like you're not going to win the national championship because it's just not that year for you. And for Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State, those years don't exist anymore because you might win the national championship every year. So it becomes a little harder to like work in a guy because it's like, well, I mean, you ha- it has to be we have such a huge lead that we can put him in in garbage time. But then, Stephen, what you're saying, the meaningful snaps matter even more. But what? how can you give a guy – the only way you give meaningful snaps is like in a worst-case scenario when the starter – your all-American quality starter is out, which nobody wants in the moment. It's desperation. It's like, oh, no, it's an emergency this guy's got to play. It's very – I don't want to say it's difficult. It's just the way of the world. But it helps create a scenario where a lot of these guys, they're young, they're talented, but the minute they ever – the first time they play meaningful snaps, they're not just like meaningful in win the game. They're meaningful in like win the national title. And if you screw this up, you might knock us out of a national title race when otherwise at every other position on the field, we are right in that race. Yeah. It, the only comparison I can think of is Alabama in 2016 with Jalen Hurts, where he was playing. I mean, he was a starter as a true freshman. And that, that was kind of their plan there for him to start there as a true freshman. He ended up winning the national championship, obviously, but yet n- no meaningful snaps. And yet the first time he starts taking meaningful snaps in, in any college football game, it's we can't lose a game because a national championship is on the line. And the other thing to remember, as much as we said COVID, obviously COVID shortened this schedule. It screwed the schedule up. Ohio State didn't get to play Illinois, which was a team you would think they'd have some of those late reps against. Maybe Maryland, a team they'd have the late reps against. But let's reserve about 8% of the blame for that. For that Nebraska game was a game where maybe they could have had but they had to play more meaningful snaps in the second half of that game than they expected to. They were up big at, at Rutgers, but couldn't get those quarterbacks in the second half of that game. Even the Indiana game, they're up 35 to seven and couldn't get those guys in. So there were some other opportunities on the schedule for Ohio state to have taken care of business and gotten those reps and helped themselves. And they didn't do it. Michigan state easily. I think they could have pulled Justin earlier than they did and gotten those guys. some. they could have thrown a ball. CJ Stroud and Jack Miller both played in that game. They could have thrown a pass. But partially, that's also where COVID also affected it because you'd had such a choppy schedule that you needed to get Justin Fields reps too. Yeah. So, and Corey Dennis wasn't there that week. Like they yeah. didn't have their head coach or their yeah. or their position coach that week, and so it's like, hey, uh, go in and play, go throw a pass. It's like, where are my coaches? My coaches aren't here. So it is. I mean, it's really it's mostly circumstance, and, and it's kind of unfortunate, but it's gonna it requires fortitude on behalf of these young quarterbacks that we get it. I mean, they're throwing all the time. They're being developed as quarterbacks from a very young age, their proficiency and their skill level is light years ahead of what it used to be, but you're still a kid. You're still a teenager. 
being a quarterback at a high-profile football university, that is not easy. And so that's the thing that doesn't change. It actually makes it harder, right? I mean, I was just I was just talking to somebody. I'm, you guys know I'm working on this Ohio State book. And uh, I was talking to a former Buckeye who was just saying, again, it's nothing new, but like, man, if, if he was playing now with the social media stuff, he thinks he would have had a completely different career. He wasn't a quarterback, but he was allowed to go in. He said – you don't realize that you're not good back then. You don't mm-hmm. realize that you made a mistake because the only person in your ear is your position coach. And they're telling you every day, you're not good enough. You've got to get better. So you buy into that, but you aren't, you don't have such an easy vessel to hear it from the fans or the media. Maybe you read the paper back then, but like now you just, you know, people are on you constantly. And so if CJ Stroud or Jack Miller or Kyle McCord comes out, and doesn't play well, I mean, there's going to be some portion of the world that's going to be like, ah, the other guy should play or whatever, right? And like that requires an intestinal fortitude that is hard for any 19-year-old to have. And there is, in the state of Ohio, there is not much more of a pressure cooker than playing quarterback at Ohio State. And some teenager is going to be doing it in this, in the fall of 2021, having never done it before. And we just all, it doesn't mean that you have to lower the standard. And I, I'm not asking, like, I don't think I'm asking fans to, like, give them a break. Because, listen, it's Ohio State. I mean, I, you know, that's not the way the world works. Context will help a little bit, right? That's like, this, this guy has never tried this, and now you're trying to win a national title. And by the way, PFF released... This is, I don't know if this helps or hurts, Nathan. Does this add pressure or is it so helpful? PFF released their list of the top 10 receivers for college football in 2021. Number one was Chris Olave. Number two was Garrett Wilson. Number three was Justin Ross of Clemson. And Steven is, is here shaking his head. And I'm assuming it's because he's mad that Garrett Wilson was number two and not number one. And that they put Olave first. It's a shame. Oh, Chris Olave is messing up. My, my not Garrett Wilson's plan for himself. Not even Ohio State's plan for him. Gar- Chris Olave is messing up my plans for Garrett Wilson. But is no, that- yeah, yes, I'm, I'm very hurt. But I, they're putting a lot of pressure on these quarterbacks, whoever it is. If I just say, oh, look at all these weapons they're going to have, and that's fine. So but- let me ask. So is it pressure or is it, oh, my God, thank God. Because you have the talent. Would you rather... Because, like, well, one's the talent and one's the perception of the talent. So the perception of the talent ups the ante a little bit. It's like, hey, man, you should be good right away. Your receivers are good. But the other thing is, like, they are good, and it will make their job easier. So, Nathan, if you're one of these quarterbacks, is it good or bad that you have the two best receivers in college football to throw to? I, I Who knows? I mean, they also have a great offensive line. I think we're probably going to see some rankings for that uh, down the line. Um You've got the you know the number one running back recruit in the country coming into a place where you've also got a two-time down ballot All Big Ten guy in the backfield. I mean, they've got a lot of weapons at their disposal. So I I, I would hope that they look at it as a a positive to say that um I mean because I mean what what's the opposite? Like you'd rather be coming in with a bunch of scrub receivers that you have to make look good. Like I'd rather have it be the other way around. Starting my career, it's not a problem that they're they have all these weapons and people are acknowledging it. I think what is a problem is Chris, we're 
we're just saying the only reason Chris Olave came back is because he believes in the quarterback, which it's probably on the list, but it's not top five on that list. And so it's, I think the expectations for who that quarterback is, and everybody wants to put in parentheses in their articles, probably CJ Stroud. That's who it's going to be. He believes in CJ Stroud. It's like, we've gone from, we're having this conversation of we're putting things in perspective about how rare this is that a guy who's never even thrown a pass in a college football game is going to be asked from day one to lead a team to a national championship. And it just seems like the world, everybody else is just more on its side of, Oh, Chris Olave is back, which means he must be Justin Fields level. Good. Nobody thinks that. Chris Olave's back so that that people think that has been, is just that has been written so good. many times that Chris Olave must have so much faith but, in the quarterback situation. Nobody has written people think CJ Stroud is Justin Fields level good. Right? Not those exact words, but he's clearly shown up in some Heisman favorite on some Heisman favorite list already and everything Where? else. It's, what 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 ranking? Let me Heisman keep list. talking. Let's let me find it. I again. don't think people are saying people are saying. I mean. I, that's an insane thing. If you're, if you are drawing any kind of comparison between CJ Stroud and what Justin Fields was as a junior, I mean, that's, I don't mean, you're just setting yourself up uh, for problems there. Um, I do think that I can't remember what I was going to say. I thought I had a point, but I can't remember what it is. I'll probably keep this part in. Just because you can't remember. It doesn't mean you didn't have a point. Yeah, no, no. Well, I, I have so many good thoughts floating through my head. Sometimes they shove each other out of the way. I do want to get, to the specific examples that you wrote about, Nathan. And then I want to get to the highest state example and try to figure out whether we think it's a reasonable comparison or not, because this is not the first time that Ohio State fans have lived through this. So we'll let Stephen look up the Heisman list. We'll have Nathan get ready with his list of comparisons in the playoff era, and we'll be back talking more about the Ohio State quarterback situation for 2021 here on Buckeye Talk. All right, Stephen, when you have a Heisman list, just let us know. In the meantime, Nathan, go ahead. The The thing that I thought was most interesting, Nathan, that applies to this is you had the examples of the teams that made the playoff with super inexperienced quarterbacks. So I think it was it six out of 28, if I remember correctly. What were those examples? And then we'll zero in a little bit. Right. So just f- f- to quickly, like half of them, they were in 28. 14 of them were returning starters who just kept the job. Um, and then there were three others that were basically um, sort of preseason competitions like Justin Fields in 2019, but really not competitions. So a lot of the times it's, it's almost set in stone before the season starts. And then you did have some other situations. So five of the teams went in the season with returning starters, but then had to make an adjustment either because of injury or because somebody went out and won the job. Ohio State 2014 is on that list. We'll come back to that. But that's how true freshman Jake Fromm took over for Jacob Eason in 2017. That's how um, true freshman Trevor Lawrence took over at Clemson in 2018. Um, It's how Jalen Hurts won the 2016 competition. So there have been a handful of those. Um, Actually, that would go in the last category, which is winner take all. And that's where there were six situations where a a true preseason quarterback competition played out, like what Ohio State is having right now. And then somebody won it and then went on and take their team to the playoffs. So that's a, that's not, not all of those were true freshmen or even redshirt freshmen, but that's where the mix comes in. in those last two categories of guy, some guys who were on the younger end who either um, and typically they didn't win it to start the year. In fact, none of the, none of those six situations did they win it to start the year. They were in that other category where the season started and a couple games into it, they win like 
for instance, uh, Stephen brought up Jalen Hurts earlier in 2016 being a true freshman, and he did lead that team for the bulk of that season. But they had another quarterback at the start of that season, and then he went in and won the game, won the job, I think, two games in. He beat out a guy, Blake Barnett. They eventually gave Hurts the job. So that's how this has happened. It's not that it's never happened where a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, even though all the redshirt freshmen is still actually kind of rare to see them going on and winning national championships and even getting to the playoff. But it, it, it happens, but it usually happens because they have to beat out someone more proven, or at least that team has that other option. That's, again, as you kind of referred to earlier, that is the difference in the Ohio State option, that this is plan A. These other situations, whether it was Trevor Lawrence, Jake Fromm, whatever, it wasn't plan A. It was, like, at best, like, plan 2A or something like that, like, with Lawrence, and then he eventually took it for himself. Uh, they probably knew. I think they knew Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starter. They were just trying to be nice to Kelly Bryant for a couple of weeks until <laughs> it became obvious to everybody. But- or, or they wanted to have him eventually be that guy without the pressure of being the only guy to start the year. These guys, these Ohio State guys aren't going to have that luxury. Yeah. And at some point, so I think it is important to acknowledge the difference, but in the end, it's like, well, you wind up playing or not. So they're going to wind up playing, whether it was you beat somebody out or if it was a plan or not a plan. The deal is a young guy with very little experience playing for a team with national title aspirations. Steven, do you have the Heisman list? I do. The, per per uh, MGM, which were the first people, sportsbook, which were the first people to put out any Heisman odds this year. When they first opened up, Jack Miller had, was at plus 1,600. Master Teague made that list with plus, at plus 2,800. But uh, CJ Stroud was plus 5,000, which was number 32 on that list. Jack Miller was ahead of CJ Stroud? Yeah. This is, I mean, they're drunk people. Who yeah, it's a meaningless list. So, okay. C- congratulations to the drunk people making Heisman yeah. lists for an imaginary online thing. Okay. Um, I said it was crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Okay. So, so here I think is where I want to get in to the JT Barrett discussion. And I think Jalen Hurts folds into this a little bit because I think, I think we've made a good point. And then I think Stephen is on the Jake Fromm comparison, which is very interesting. And I think actually, probably in the end is the best comparison because one thing we're not going to bother comparing people to Trevor Lawrence. Cause I just don't think that's helpful to anybody. I mean, to be like, Oh, it'll be like Trevor Lawrence. Like, uh, I mean, he's really, he's a little different, I think. So I just feel like that's a little, a little too much to expect. It's a tendency of when we do things, whatever it is, we compare it to the most extreme version of it. And that's why Trevor Lawrence is constantly brought up in these situations, which is probably not healthy. It might be fair to compare Quinn Ewers to Trevor Lawrence, which is what makes this whole thing interesting right. again. In another Correct. Year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, let's get through this because I like the Jake Fromm. There's a whole – I have a list here of who is okay. who. So so I do think that's a very good point. So we'll save that, put a pin in that, and we'll yeah. do this podcast again in a year and make a Trevor Lawrence comparison. Yeah. The thing that unites Jalen Hurts and JT Barrett in their first year as a starter – that I wonder about with whoever wins the job for Ohio state is that those guys ran it. JT Barrett and Jalen hurts both ran for more than 900 yards in their first season and having covered JT Barrett. I mean, and we're going to dig in on JT Barrett. JT Barrett was exceptional. He was unbelievably good for this team, but a lot of what he did best, there were moments. I mean, if you, I think it was the Minnesota game. I mean, he just, He's ripping through the Minnesota defense in the run game. He ran 17 times for 189 yards. 
against Minnesota in the third to last regular season game in the snow at Minnesota in 2014. It is a little bit of a get out of jail free card, both with their skill set and both with the way that those offenses were designed to run with Alabama in 2016 and Ohio state in 2014. And I think it is a great way for a young quarterback who has those skills to ease into things because sometimes it's hard to get to your third read and break down a defense and they roll the safeties away. You weren't expecting and they're in zone before the snap and man after the snap. And if you can just look at it, if you're confused and you can just look at it and run, or if your offensive coordinator could be like, listen, man, this is getting a little hot. Let's lean into zone read. You can do that. And JT was a master of that from the start. That helps. I don't think that's going to be the case here. Now, I think Kyle McCord, Jack Miller, and CJ Stroud probably all can run. But Steven, I think that is the most important thing where we divert from a JT Barrett comparison. Or am I wrong? And in the last two years, we talked about how good Justin was as a runner, but they kind of wanted to save it and they didn't want to use it too much. Might they lean into that with a young quarterback in 2021 with the QB run game? I think with both Jalen Hurts and JT Barrett situations, yeah, they ran it a lot, but they were also the last remnants of an old offense that no longer works. I don't think that's going to be the case with whether it's CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, or Kyle McCord, where it's just if all else fails, just take off and run. I don't think that's, I think that might stagnate their development. I mean, we saw it with Jalen Hurts, it stagnated his development. And JT, I mean, his ceiling was already low as a thrower anyway, but it probably stagnated his development a little bit. I think they've, they've at least been practicing. And they're going to do their best game simulation during the spring. But I don't, I think we're going to see something similar to what we saw from Justin Fields as far as how they use the quarterback from here on out, where it's the option to run is going to be there and we're going to use it at times. But we want you to sit back there and throw the ball. Nathan, what do you think? Are you, how much do you expect quarterback run to factor into this offense? I'll be honest with you. I, I don't know that much about each of these guys individually as a runner. Um, my suspicion is they are not just in fields as runners and be, and I agree with Steven that I think, again, this, I think this offense will be predicated on the, the quarterbacks making reads and, and using these weapons that they have more so than having that as a first option, although it wasn't the first option for fields either. So, um, I, 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 I would say that that aspect of the offense will, would be less prevalent than it was under fields is my suspicion as we sit here today. Um, that's kind of one of the things I'd like to see if we get to see these guys in the spring. I'll say this CJ can run it. Kyle McCord can't necessarily make plays down the field, but he's pretty good outside of the pocket at buying some time and finding an open guy downfield. It's actually one of his stronger traits. I think Jack Miller is probably the, the, the least athletic of the three, but I mean, he's decent as well, but he's not nearly at the level of what Kyle McCord and CJ Stroud can do with their legs. I mean, we saw these guys run. We saw Stroud make a big run in yeah. the time that he, the one, one of the few opportunities he got to play this past season. We saw Miller, using his legs to run. Although the fact that Ryan day had to um, apologize for that later, or felt like he had to apologize for that later. makes me wonder maybe they should have just thrown a couple passes while he was in there anyway. But um, so, so we know that they can do it, but do, can they do it at a Justin Fields level? 
where 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 it's a, where it becomes a primary weapon of, of what he does as a quarterback, I think that remains to be seen. Troy Smith also ran more as a young quarterback than he did as an older quarterback. Troy Smith, known as a Michigan killer, mm-hmm. his first Michigan start in 2004, he was 13 of 23 for 241 yards passing. He also ran it 18 times for 145 yards. That like when the going gets tough with a young, talented quarterback, this is a way, I think, to ease him into things. And it's I will be curious. I think I agree with everybody. I don't think it's going to happen. But I, Stephen, I think that amps up the difficulty a little bit because it's just it's not the way the world works in college football at the moment. It's not the way this offense is designed to work. These guys aren't quite JT or Justin or Troy with how they run it, but it just, I think it makes it 25% more difficult as a young QB. Yeah, and I think the good thing is we don't have to wait till the end of the season to know if it's because they can't run or it's because they're holding, saving it. Like we knew Justin could run, but we also knew they were saving it for big games in 2019. I think we're going to be able to find out early just because of how the schedule you know, shapes out. There's a bigger game early on. So we'll see. I, maybe you're right. Maybe we, we, in, they throw it, they throw it. But when you get to games like Oregon, you know, Michigan, Penn State, they let them loose a little bit just because they need to win the game. It's not letting loose. It's not letting loose. It's not like let's unleash. Yeah, that's not that's not it's, the right world. It's it's li- it's it's falling back on a thing. Instead, it's, it's like instead of allowing a couple interceptions to be thrown, how about you just go pick up five or six yards and keep the drive alive? Yeah, it's 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 going back to Woody Hayes a little bit. It's like listen, we have a good offensive line. Because it's not all scrambles. We're going to run some zone read. You're a good athlete. We can block it up. We can design it. You know, I mean, when Clemson, when Clemson got stuck against Ohio State in the 2019 semifinal, they made Trevor Lawrence a runner to try to unstick themselves, right? I mean, it's a thing that you can go back to. It's like basic football that, like, we're having a little trouble getting some stuff moving. Let's run the QB. I, I, I am very curious when the chips are down, JT Barrett in 2014, when they're in that do or die game at Penn State, which is just a bonkers game in overtime, JT Barrett is 12 of 19 for 74 yards passing. He runs it 20 times for 75 yards. And in overtime, they just make him a battering ram. And they do whatever they have to do to beat Penn State in overtime on the road and keep their national title hopes alive. You're not playing for style points at that point. You're playing for survival. And I think in the history of Ohio state football and, and even in college football, sometimes when you're just trying to survive, you just tell the quarterback to take the snap and run. If the guy has that skill set. I am fascinated to see how this works out before we get into more JT. Let me ask this. Do we have, The perfect example of how this might go, especially if it's one of the second-year quarterbacks, if it's Stroud or Miller, staring us right in the face, Nathan, with Justin Fields in 2019. Why is that not the comparison that we should lean on the most? Because, yes, he had a role at Georgia. He didn't start a game at Georgia. Is Is that reasonable? I mean, it's certainly in the mix, but is that a really good comparison of how this might go because of the whole thing. Again, people like it. When I talk about how I said they were going to be nine and three, it's a, it's a foundational part of the podcast at this point. So I like to drop it in every now and then. That's why I said nine and three. 
because I just thought it was too much to ask of a transferring quarterback in year two who had not really played all that much as a freshman to come in and just be ready for all of it. And guess what? He was ready for all of it. And Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson were able to set up an offense that accentuated what he did well, but he was incredibly accurate, incredibly poised from the jump in a way that I didn't expect. So Nathan, is that what we're going to see in 2019 from the winner of this competition? So I think there are some comparisons just in terms of the first year starter thing, just because while he had the experience at Georgia, he was coming into a new program. So that maybe negates that a little bit. You're having to learn a new offense. You're a a starter for the first time. However, I I think there are more differences in our similarities, partially because of the fact that he played so much at Georgia. I mean, he had a role at Georgia. He wasn't the starter, but it was, he had a, a role at Georgia that he played. I mean, he was, he was a part of the offense. It wasn't as big of a part as he wanted, but it also wasn't just mop-up duties. He was in games that mattered, um, playing real snaps at times. Not an abundance of them, but he had a package. So I think that kind of experience is different than what any of these guys got last year. Either of these guys, I should say, Stroud and Miller. And then there's some other, you can get into some other semantic things about the rest of this team. The fact that, Fields is playing with maybe the best defense in the country or one of them, and these this team does not look like it will be. I think that puts more pressure on the quarterback, those sorts of things. I think there's still more differences than similarities with Fields. If I push back on that, I would say that I don't know how much of what he was at Georgia was going to translate when he was a starting quarterback, no matter where it was, because he was Tate Martell there. They brought him in to run the ball, and in garbage time, he got a chance to be sure his accuracy off. But I don't. I think Ryan Day had said it at one point: the fact that they, when he got here, he was still so raw, and it's because they weren't using him as a quarterback there. So I don't. Like, I, it's not. You're right. It's not completely the same, but there are some similarities in the sense that there's nothing he can take from that season that would be able to, to apply to any starting quarterback job he would have had from there there forward. But to me, that goes back to what we were saying earlier about DJ Ugalele, about how even if he had played in some of those games and not had as many reps, the fact that he was getting that kind of experience means something. To throw, though. They were using him as a throw. And, like, they they threw him out there in meaningful situations in, like, the second quarter. It would be, like, 21 to 10, and they just throw him out there for a series. I think DJ was being used as a guy who was clearly going to be the next starting quarterback. Justin Fields was being used as this wildcat quarterback where it seemed like that was also going to be his role as a sophomore. So, so I think, I think fields is like the middle point between yeah. what Clemson did and what Ohio state did last year with these guys. Justin that year, 42 carries for 266 yards, 27 of 39 passing for 328 yards and four touchdowns. Most of his passing came in three blowout games against mm-hmm. non-conference opponents. He was seven of eight against Austin P in the opener. He was six of eight against middle Tennessee state, and he was five of eight against UMass. So again, the thing we would typically expect, I mean, he had a package in the games that mattered, and then he got most of his passing experience being the, the full quarterback in the blowout games. Um, but part of it is, I think we have to have a distinction here and then we'll take a last break and zoom in on JT. There's the distinction of like you've been on the field with a crowd in a moment, right? That versus you've dissected defense. You know what I mean? Like there's part of it. Justin had Justin's down in the SEC playing in games that matter with people screaming at him and future NFL guys trying to tear his head off. 
So that he did. Did he drop back against great defenses and try to diagnose stuff and make throws the way DJ did against Notre Dame? No. But I don't know. I, I, th- those are two kind of separate things, Nathan. Both important, but I think part of our point is the Ohio State guys kind of have neither. Right. But yes, they were mm-hmm. on a little bit, with, the, but they kind of have neither. Justin had a feel for what it was like to be in an important game, even if he didn't like throw the ball in an important game, Nathan. Exactly. And I think that the, the experience that these guys got last year for Ohio State is more resemblant of like high school JV than usual because we're hoping that we get like something closer to normal college football this coming season. So the atmosphere is going to be very different. The experience is going to be very different than the few times they got into games in 2020. And Ryan day, we mentioned this and then Ryan day said it when we talked to him this week, the idea of like multiple spring game situations, right? That Mm -hmm. he would maybe like to do that in spring football. And I think we talked about that. The spring game is interesting. The spring game has always been more for the fans, I think, than anything else. I mean, it's kind of goofy. Yeah. It's fun. It's one, It counts as one of the 15 practices for the spring. But I think the spring game will be very different this year. And, and in the past, Jim Tressel had done things where they called it like a special team scrimmage or something, or he called it the kick scrimmage, they would call it, yeah. where they would do things. But there was another reason to go over there. I think they will be in Ohio Stadium. If I were Ryan Day, I would run, and I think this is, I don't, I don't know that this is like against NCAA rules or anything. I would run a game day for all these guys who have never done it. I would get on a bus. I would go over. I would get dressed in the locker room. I would give pregame speeches. I would warm up, and I would crank the crowd, and I would play a three-hour game. Mm-hmm. And like this is a game, CJ and Jack and Kyle and Travion and Evan and Donovan and everybody else who has never been through this that might have to do it this year. And frankly, to all the guys who have been here who didn't get as many games last year, I would play a game. Now, I'm not going to make the quarterbacks live and get anybody killed, but I'd play a real football game rather than what the showcase game is for the fans with the spring game. No, I, I agree because, yeah, you can even throw in these these 2020 guys. These guys have not really experienced a true – Ohio State football game day atmosphere. The stand at the hotel, walking over to school session, getting amped up there, walking through the stadium, coming back out, and you've been in the locker room for all the 20 minutes and, and the arena's empty, but then you come back out and now all of a sudden it's full and there's music and all this stuff going on, recruits walking around. They have not been through that. Last year was basically like we all got a chance to watch closed practices. And so there are two groups, one of which might be at play a vital role, on this team this year and another one where there's some five stars who we all think might have a role as well who have just not been through that so i agree i think the spring game needs to be you know pandemic allowing as as much as you can some version of what an actual ohio state football game looks like i've never completely understood why coaches do these goofy uh, scoring things that they do with the spring games and, and and scrimmages and i think for this for this year these circumstances i would kind of i i, I think you just split it in half and and do a real game I mean, I There's think you could, do, to that. you could do everything other than don't sack the quarterback. Right. Literally. And don't, don't, if he runs, don't tee off on him and try to take his head off. Like just relax, but let's play some football. All right. We'll come back. We'll talk about JT Barrett and what he might mean for what the quarterbacks will look like in 2021. You're listening to Buckeye talk from cleveland.com.
All right, back on Buckeye Talk, the reason that I like the JT Barrett comparison and why I think it matters and why I think it might make a lot of sense is that JT Barrett was not expected to be the best player on a national championship team. And that, I think, is where we can talk about this. JT Barrett had Devin Smith and Michael Thomas and Evan Spencer and Jeff Hireman and Nick Vanette and Ezekiel Elliott, and an offensive line that included guys like Taylor Decker and Pat Elfline and Billy Price. All he had to do was be a point guard. Now, he's a running point guard instead of a throwing point guard, and he did make exceptional plays. And I'm not trying to pretend this guy, you know, every game was throwing for 100 yards. He threw for 2,834 yards. Against Cincinnati, he threw for 330 and four touchdowns. Against Kent State, he threw for 312 and six touchdowns. Against Michigan State, at Michigan State, 16 of 26, three touchdowns, no picks. At Minnesota, 15 of 25, 200, three touchdowns, one pick. Indiana, 25 of 35, 302, four touchdowns, two interceptions. He did run a lot. He had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games of double digit carries that year, but he also did his thing, but Nathan, he didn't have to be the guy. And that's where I think, listen, all right, we've got Chris Olave. We've got Garrett Wilson. We've got Jeremy Ruckert. We've got master Teague and Trevion Henderson and Evan Pryor. We've got a really experienced, really good offensive line. Get the ball out of his hands. Give him easy half field reads. Take your deep shot when it's there. Don't worry all that much about getting to your second and third read because, man, most of the time with Olave and Wilson and Ruckert, they're going to win and your first read's going to be there. I think a lot of that is very informative about the JT Barrett model. And there's a particular caveat that I want to throw in there. But how that part of it, Nathan, where are you on that? No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I think Ohio State did make some adjustments uh, over the course of, of Fields' first season. And then certainly into to what they let him be this the second season. Um, I think the passing game got a little more sophisticated. And I would think that then Ryan Day will call games accordingly, right? I think you 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 run the offense according to your personnel. And I think it that it could be a well, way this this offense could grow over the course of this first season, regardless of who wins this job. I think that and this is getting into semantics and, and details and the things. I think Alabama may have provided a formula for how the Ohio State can go about using its quarterback this year. When you have that many weapons, just get the ball out of his hands as quickly as possible. Maybe they don't, they don't take as many deep shots this year. Obviously, Chris Olave is going to get his fair share because he's Chris Olave, but maybe it's a lot more quick passes where, you ask, where you're asking guys to do more with the ball after they've caught it. Maybe you do see the RPOs come back now. It's maybe a more sophisticated offense and an offensive line who maybe is a little bit more prepared to run stuff like that than it, what we've seen in the past. I actually think deep shots are not that complicated sometimes because it's like, all right, well, you know, if you see one, if you see a one-on-one matchup, yeah, you know, out wide, give a guy a shot down the sideline, and even if you get picked, it's forty yards down the field. It's not the end of the world. But I don't, you know, you don't have to be throwing in the middle of the field much. You're not throwing, you know, trying to over the linebackers in front of the safeties. You can throw that. Maybe they throw the screen more, right? We talked about sometimes they work that screen game a little more in the second half of the year. They could run. I'd like to see a. a, a the Browns had some really big big games, big gains in the late part of the season, the tight end screen game. Give me some Jeremy Rucker tight end screen game. I'm all here for that. I think that could be a thing that could work really well. Um, 
But I just, I think there is a version of it. There's absolutely a version of it that works, Nathan, that as much as I'm trying to think, how do I say this? I'm not, I think my opinion right now in February is that like, I'm not going to not, I'm not going to nine and three myself again, that I'm not going to say like, well, they're awesome, but they're inexperienced quarterbacks going to hold them back. Like, I don't think that's where I'm going to be because I do think Ryan day, Kevin Wilson, the rest of the offensive staff and this young quarterback will be able to figure out enough of a facsimile that 2014 for Ohio State fans absolutely might be the the program of of how this could work. And yeah, they could win a national title this year, just like they did then. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I think everyone knew that Justin Fields was going to be a talented quarterback when he came in and they knew that he could come in and run this offense. And from the day he transferred, that was the expectation. Um, I think what remains to be seen is, and it's only because we haven't seen them, is whether, I mean, literally remains to be seen, whether Stroud or Miller or McCord comes in and makes some of the throws that Justin Fields was making as soon as he got here in 2019. And those sorts of things. I mean, he was a guy who saw the field really well, was, was super efficient. It wasn't just quarterback talent. And, and then the parts that were quarterback talent, it was almost about precision more than it was about like prodigiousness or whatever. Like it was, it was just, it was the fact that he could, that he played with, with such efficiency. That's where I think I, I, that, that's, that to me remains to be seen for these quarterbacks is whether they're going to be ready from day one to play with that kind of efficiency. And it's the thing that I'm skeptical of, not to the point where I think it holds this team back, but I don't know that I expect them to come out and, and do what fields did right away because of that. I always like to talk about when a guy leaves and after he leaves, the next guy doesn't do exactly what he did. And it reinforces, Oh my gosh, that guy was good. I think it's possible that whoever the quarterback is is going to miss some throws this year. And it's going to be a reminder of Justin Fields never missed. How many times does, did he actually, well, he was trying to hit this guy here and he just missed the guy by three yards. Right. That he overthrew a, a deep ball was there and he really overthrew it or underthrew it. Or he had the wide open guy in the flat and he just missed him. Or oh, that slant was there. And instead he threw it right to the linebacker. Not because he didn't see him, but because he missed him by a yard. Accuracy can be taken for granted when you see it all the time. Justin Fields was incredibly accurate. But the thing that before we get out of here that I want to zero in on is Ohio State lost the second game of the 2014 season, and they spent all year coming back from that. And they lost it because Virginia Tech threw a wrinkle at him on defense that they weren't ready for. And with a quarterback making his second career start, they weren't able to diagnose it and overcome it. JT Barrett, everybody remembers it. Nine of 29, 31% completions, still threw for 219 yards. That's quite a yards per completion. One touchdown, three picks against Virginia Tech in that loss. Ran it 24 times for 70 yards. That's another part of this, Stephen, and we'll, we'll really, really quickly touch on the schedule update. It's not much of an update. That could also happen. And then it's a matter of, in 2014, all year, we thought, nope, they can't come back from that. That's the loss that killed them. It turns out it wasn't. That, I think, Stephen, is the caveat to all of this of, man, I mean, as great as JT was, you have to be open to the idea of somebody gets them early because they've got a young quarterback who's never done it before. I mean, the schedule lines up for that to be the case, right? Yeah, you play a road game to start the year off. You look okay, but you're not world-beating. And then you have a non-conference home game. 
that you lose, but then you spend the rest of the year fighting your way back into it. And then by the time you get to the Michigan game, you're probably clicking on all cylinders again. I mean, the schedule, yeah, it's literally mirroring each other again. It's just Oregon is now Virginia Tech. But also, I'm a little less skeptical of that just because I think with these three guys, the, the quarterback play, the, ce- the ceiling of it is a little bit higher than what it was with JT. JT Barrett probably had a longer way to go to get to his peak than maybe CJ Stroud, Kyle McCord, or uh, Jack Miller will have to go to. So I'm a little less skeptical of a nine for 29 being the case. But yeah, the, the idea that a non-conference opponent who's pretty decent comes in here and throws some things at you that you have a first-year starting quarterback they've never seen, they're able to take advantage of that. It's not off the table. JT Barrett was unflappable. I would have JT Barrett come and talk to these guys and whoever wins, I would have them. I would have JT Barrett come and hang out with the starting quarterback for like the week before the season starts, what that guy was able to do and not get caught up in it and carry the burden. We have, we've talked enough on this podcast of some of JT's limitations as a player, as a dude handling a situation, you couldn't ask for more. And that was such not underrated. I think people understood it in the moment. And he also had unbelievable performances at times. That'll be the hardest thing for whoever wins this, I think, to replicate because JT just handled that part of it. And I, and I think people have to keep that in mind that I think when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think JT was special, you know, just like he was just an old man in a teenager's body at that point. And, and he really was, was the right guy for the moment, how that turned out Braxton in practice tears his shoulder. And who do you turn to this guy? Who's just like, I'm cool. I'm ready. I want to get into your comparison, Steven, because you said you had it lined up. Georgia, Jake Fromm, what do you got for how you think this might work out and be a comparison for the OSU QB situation? So I think CJ Stroud and Jack Miller or Jacob Eason. Um, obviously CJ Stroud's got the rating at this point because he was a top 50 player in the country and Jack Miller kind of stumbled down the rankings because of some injuries. But for the most part, when you got, when he, when he committed here, he was a top 100 recruit. So you got two top 100 talents that you just added to this class, expecting that one of them is going to be your starting quarterback. And we've been down this road with the Georgia recruiting top, t- top 100 quarterbacks year after year. Jake Fromm comes in as a top 100 quarterback and he just takes the job from Jacob Eason. And I know Eason had a year of starting, but he, he took the year, he took the starting job from him. Kyle McCord is, is Jake Fromm in this Hold situation. But Eason got hurt. He didn't just take the job from him. Correct. But, at the, but he didn't come win the job back when he got back on the field. That's why I'm saying he took the job from him. But, but that's semantics. The point of the matter is Kyle McCord is the Jake Fromm in this situation because he's just a guy in the middle of that. If that guy doesn't exist, the quarterback flow here is pretty easy. It's Jacob Eason starts for two years and then Justin Fields takes over CJ Stroud or Jack Miller starts for two years after learning it for a year. And then Quinn Ewers takes over Quinn Ewers is obviously the Trevor Lawrence part of the situation, but the Kyle McCord, Jake Fromm comparison is interesting because they're both true freshmen who are joining a room that already has top tier quarterback work talent in it from a recruiting standpoint. And he could throw off the entire room by winning this job. So that's, I think, a separate discussion. And again, as Nathan said at the beginning, we're only going to have it a thousand times between, yeah. between here and then. It's like, you got to pick the right guy. They have some options. Where's, this sort of discussion is like, once they pick the guy, can they win with that guy? Mm-hmm. And I think, Nathan, in conclusion, again, we'll end with you since you sort of started it. We can't just assume, like, pick the right guy because that's like the whole point. But for this discussion, assume they pick the right guy. They have a young talented inexperienced quarterback on this team can they be really good yeah absolutely 
I still, as someone who evaluates this team, I still have more questions about whether this defense is good enough to be a playoff team, to be a national championship caliber team than I am about whether the quarterback can get the job done, whichever quarterback they end up with. Because I think that's part of the advantage here. Again, you've got to pick the right guy, but it's not like you're picking from um, a really talented guy who might not be ready. And then a couple of guys who are just like, you know, depth guys, veteran guys, organizational guys, like these are all three potentially elite talents. You just got to get the right one in place. Yeah. I mean, it is, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if it would be easier if it was like a Kelly Bryant, Trevor Lawrence situation where it's like, well, it's an old guy and a more talented young guy. Is that easier? I mean, there's part of this is like, Hey, they're all young and they're all really talented. It's like, okay, well, I don't know how you're going to figure it out. You know, like it's almost like you have a lot of great options, but, and, and, and maybe the part of this too, and this is not this podcast is, Maybe there's no wrong choice. So it's like, okay, well, I don't know. Like one guy's a, you know, if Justin's a hundred, it's right. All right. One guy's a 91, one guy's a 90 and one guy's an 89. Like you're fine. Like you're going to be fine. You're not going to be at a hundred, but you're, you're going to be at a place where you can win regardless. Maybe, but I think Georgia thought it had no wrong choice between Fromm and fields and it made the wrong one. That's the, like that's, and that's the problem there. I think you're, it's the, they might have 191, 90, and an 89, but one guy's ceiling might be 100, and but, the other but, guy's ceiling is 92. But, the, but again, that's different because Fromm had the experience. The whole point of this yeah. is that nobody has experience, so they're all kind of starting from the same spot. I think if Justin Fields and Jake Fromm had both been guys, like Justin's like a true freshman, and Jake Fromm's a redshirt freshman, but neither of them had thrown a pass, like we're talking about here, I think Justin wins. Probably, yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's yeah. the whole thing. I do think they'll wind up with like the best quarterback will win this because there's not experience is great to have, but it's also a complicating factor because sometimes you have a more experienced guy who's not as good, but he's better right now only because the other guy hasn't played. And then you have to make yourself pull the trigger on the more talented and experienced guy and sort of live through it to get to the top end later. And sometimes coaches can't make them pull themselves, pull that trigger because it's like, well, this guy's better right now. So like that doesn't exist here. They just, they're going to have a battle and they're going to pick the best guy because nobody's done anything. So on some level, man, you almost, sometimes you wish, I wish they had a little more experience in this battle. On the other hand, it's kind of freeing. Just pick the best guy. And they're not going to know what they're doing when they take their first snap. It's the, they're not going to know what they're doing no matter what. So go by talent. All right. That's part one of 136 parts to this I podcast. It's part one. That's we've done this before. Part it's 11. Part one, but it's maybe, maybe, uh, maybe the 136 is I think, right. I think part one was when we had the discussion of should Ohio state go for a top 100 quarterback. Every that's where it starts. And it's like, well, now that they've done it and they keep that's, doing it, what do we do now? We did not begin this podcast by saying CJ Stroud is from California. Yeah. He went to the elite 11 camp. He, oh, Kyle McCord is it's part, it's part 36. I'll, we, I'll I, say this. You're though. right. If CJ Stroud wins this job and Ohio State and Clemson are playing for the national championship, there's going to be so many, how DJ set up, set up Ohio State to find his starting quarterback that he now has to play against. Well, I mean, it's fascinating to think about that we are, I mean, if it's the same three teams as, as it usually is, it's going to be three teams quarterback by second year guys from California who were the one, two, three quarterbacks in the country in their class. And now they're all going head to head 
to try to lead these teams to a national title with. But also, it's that. But also, CJ Stroud is literally at Ohio State because DJ opted out of the Elite Eleven, which opened up the spot for CJ Stroud to go in the first place. Yep. So yeah, or it'll be Jack Miller or Kyle McCord. Uh, all right. Thanks you guys for listening to that. That'll get you through the weekend. We have a desert Island thing planned for next year. I think I'm going to, for next week, we're going to send it out. I think this weekend, um, pick a quarterback, a running back and a receiver from any time in Ohio state history. If you're starting a, an ultimate Buckeyes team, you know, how would they maybe fit together? Who would you pick? I'll send that out to the texters this weekend. We'll get some response on that and then we'll come back and discuss that. And then people wanted us to pick what we would do on a desert aisle, what we would take uh, with some different categories if we went to that. So we'll do that. Uh, we'll have some other great stuff planned next week. We'll continue. I think the plan is to have that one recruiting pod, one focused recruiting pod with Steven and Nathan each week. We'll keep dropping in basketball as Ohio State continues to climb the rankings. And we'll always appreciate you guys for listening. Try the text at 614 650-3315. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.